0: And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reefs by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. When she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women? She may come and nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Behold, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, the consistency of your word, the surety of your word, and we ask that we would turn to your word this morning for the answers we need. We ask that your word would speak with us according to our greatest needs today, that, Father, it would be very plain and clear and we would hear it perfectly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm sure everyone here knows the situation that begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. But imagine if no one had ever read any other part of the Bible. And the only part of the Bible they had ever read was the first thing they saw was this passage of Scripture. And they read this passage of Scripture, and they read the passage of Scripture, the story of a woman who had a son. They saw he was a beautiful son. He was so beautiful, they hid him from everybody else. That doesn't make any sense. Then after three months when she couldn't hide him anymore, she makes a basket. She weaves a basket out of, out of reeds and, and puts pitch and asphalt, makes it waterproof like the flex seal screen door boat. She, she puts all that together and she lays her baby in the basket and puts it in the river. What kind of mother is this? This doesn't make any sense. What brought a parent to the point of putting a baby in a basket and putting the basket in a river? There's where the grown-up lesson comes. The grown-up lessons are all found in chapter 1. And when you see what happened in chapter 1, you realize what drove a parent to the desperation to put a baby in a basket and the basket in the river. Verse 22 of chapter one says this, Pharaoh commanded all of his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Now we know why she did what she did, but now we have another question. What brings a society to the point where a remedy for a problem is the widespread killing of infants? What brings a society to that issue? There's where the grown-up lessons start. Number one, the fragile and dangerous nature of public opinion. You back up to chapter 1, you know the earlier respect for Joseph and his people. In Genesis chapter 41, Joseph had risen to the second in command under Pharaoh. He was trusted. He was respected. He was respected because his godly counsel saved the country from famine. And all the surrounding countries came to Egypt for food because of God's leadership in his life and God's advice to him and his willingness to follow God's advice. Joseph Was the one individual that was responsible for the welfare of that country. And the country was blessed. Earlier, when he was in Potiphar's house, years before, it says, God blessed the house of Potiphar because of the presence of Joseph. Joseph was held in high esteem. Joseph universally had very positive public opinion on him. And why wouldn't he? He was trusted. He was sharp. His intentions were the best for the country. And his actions alone saved everyone in the country. But now we look in verse 6. And Joseph died in all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful, increased abundantly, and multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a king over Egypt that did not know Joseph, and said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more than mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen the event of war, they that they join with our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the people of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. All that changed. Notice, up till then, Joseph and the people, the Hebrews, were very well respected and received and trusted. Then one man looks out and he changes all that. What happened? Listen close. Don't miss this. What happened? Simply A political agenda by a group that feared losing power. The Hebrews were in the land. Had given them no reason to to distrust them. But he says, wait a minute. It might happen. If somebody invades our land, they'll join with them because there's so many of them. And so they feared them. And because they wanted to retain power, public opinion swung against the children of Israel and everything they stood for. And they embraced indecent and immoral practices to pursue their political agenda. Now you see how relevant the Bible is? This is not something that just happened thousands of years ago. We can see it in the pages of the newspaper today in order to retain power, political agendas worldwide will do anything, no matter how decent or immoral, and embrace anything to retain their power. Of course, some might say, well, you know, what's right and wrong is kind of relative to the situation. When is it ever, since when is it ever a good thing to permit the widespread killing of infants. Never. Never. But the whole country embraced it. The whole country said it's a good thing. And the whole country did that. Public opinion had changed to embrace that. However, not everybody agreed with it. You'll read a little bit later. Two midwives, it says they feared God. And they didn't want to go along with the plan. Well, we can't have that. So Pharaoh calls them on the carpet. Imagine that. Somebody who approved of the sanctity of every life called on the carpet by a political leader who had embraced the fact that this was a good thing because they could retain power. Now you see why public opinion is fragile. It'll change. Public opinion is Dangerous because it leads whole groups of people down very dangerous roads where it had twisted and stepped one step at a time to where now, what are they doing? They're embracing and accepting and celebrating the murder of infants and anyone who disagreed is called on the carpet. You're the problem. You're the problem. Now you see why public opinion is a dangerous thing because it causes folks to accept things that before would have been totally unacceptable. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, maybe not even that long ago. Do you think everybody would say there is a good reason why a full-grown man should be allowed to use a woman's restroom? I'm waiting. Is there ever a good reason? Is it ever right to allow a full-grown man or boys to go into the girls' restroom at the school? Is it ever right where well, there's a lengthy theological answer? And if you've got time, I'll, I'll go into that right now. Is it ever right? No! There's the answer. Ever. But somehow we've twisted it around to somehow it's a right thing. It's a good thing. Public opinion has twisted the definition of right and wrong, good and bad, to the point where now people who disagree with the fact that somebody could just saunter into a lady's room, no matter where it is, and he should be able to be allowed to do that. Somehow, anybody who disagrees with that is made out to be a villain. And you say, well, I don't know if public opinion is all that dangerous. Oh, it's real dangerous. You ever heard the term... Cyber-bullying. We ever seen in the news where a young teenage girl takes her life and they find out, well, some of her friends were bullying her online. Well, when I was growing up, you know what bullying was? That was when somebody came up to you on the playground and demanded your lunch money or they were going to beat you up, right? (laughs) Cyber-bullying is just they said something bad about me. And all my friends caught on. And everybody piled on. And all the people started saying something bad about the young teenage girl. Public opinion turned against her. Yeah, it's dangerous, isn't it? Public opinion is very dangerous. It is fragile. Why? It'll change. And it's dangerous because it'll change to the worse, and everybody seems to accept it. Several years ago, owner of a large corporation, in fact, it was a chain of restaurants, a very successful chain of restaurants, he said something so outrageous that there came an outcry from celebrities, athletes, popular entertainers, the news media, we've got to shut his restaurant down. There was a public outcry. There was organized efforts to shut him down and drive him out of business. What did he say that would cause this? Here's what he said. S. Truett Cathy said this. I support the biblical principle of marriage between a man and a woman. That is the biblical principle of marriage. One man and one woman Married. That's the big biblical principle. Whoa. Now you would think, no, wait a minute, what's so horrible about that? Well, you tell me. Popular people and movers and shakers of public opinion across the country said, We'll shut him down. You can't say that. That's hateful. That's hurtful. That's that's phobic. And all he said is, I agree that the best possible relationship is what God said. A man and a woman. Public opinion said, We're gonna shut you down. You see, it is dangerous. It is dangerous. And it's fragile, and it will go any way the wind blows. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy? Well the apostle Paul gives us the remedy. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven. We've looked at this past description. We've zeroed in a lot of doctrinal things here. But look at it in the the light of what happened in Egypt. And look at the remedy for the dangerous, fragile nature of public opinion. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and cared about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of man, the cunning craftiness of deceitful planning, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into all things unto him who is, head, who is the head, Christ. We should be no longer children tossed to and fro by the winds of public opinion. Children, childish. What is the remedy. Well, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is the remedy. This is the remedy. Public opinion changes. We can see that. Public opinion can change to the point we say, how did we ever get to this? How do we ever get to this that somehow, way, if I disagree with a man going into a woman's restroom, I'm the bad guy now. You see the danger of public opinion? It changes and it can twist things to the point of it's absurd. It's childish. But it says to keep from being blown about with public opinion, the word, the word of God and those who proclaim it, which includes us. As a church, all of us, teachers, preachers, Bible school workers, Awana workers, to stand on this. Because let me tell you, the public opinion winds blow and they blow hard on our kids. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And these words... That I command you today shall be in your heart. Look at verse 7. Listen close. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you'll talk of them when you sit in your house. You walk by the way when you sit down and when you rise up. You'll teach them diligently to your children. See what happened was. There came a generation that was not taught the respectable principles of Joseph and the people of God. The next generation was the one that said, kill the infants and we'll solve our problems because they were not taught. And you see, it's incumbent upon us to teach the next generation because you know what? There are other people teaching the next generation. Celebrities, singers, entertainers, athletes, all blowing with the wind of dangerous public opinion. And it's our responsibility to make sure what we teach our generation, the next generation, is the word of God. Why is that important? Because another grown-up doctrine in chapter 1, the unquestionable accuracy of God's word. It doesn't change from generation to generation, determining what popular entertainer has some different idea of of what needs to be done or some political agenda by a political party. God's word is unquestionably accurate across the years. It does not change with human events. Look in chapter 1, verse 8. Now you look at that and you'll say, So what? Well, well, we'll look at the so what. Bear with me. Chapter 1, verse 8 of, of Exodus. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war, they join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them. Afflict them. Look at that word. With their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. And the more they afflicted them, afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. They were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. There's the what. Now look at the so what. Now look at the so what. Back up to Genesis chapter 15. Hundreds of years earlier. Hundreds of years earlier, God is speaking to Abraham. And he says... Now he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will serve him. They will afflict them. Catch that? They will afflict them for 400 years. All the while, all this is going on in Egypt. It looked like God was totally out of control. God just totally lost control and Pharaoh's doing what he wants to do, Egypt's doing what they want to do, and God's not anywhere around. He is so irrelevant today because of what is happening in, in the public, you know, it just looked like he's out of control. He just he cannot do anything. He's incapable of helping. But God had said four hundred years earlier, you'll be in a foreign land and you'll be afflicted for four hundred years. Now, this affliction will serve a purpose, and we'll look at that in a later day. Now look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Now remember what was said to Abraham, the people will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 40 of Exodus chapter 12, now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. God nailed it. God's word is accurate across the generations. God's word is accurate despite the winds of public opinion or the activities of man. Which brings me to the third point. The limited power of a human iron fist to thwart the purposes of God. At this time, Pharaoh and the children of Israel, they were the most powerful nation on the earth he was the most powerful man on the earth nobody needs to cross him he can do you out some misery and what he says was absolute and so what he said was this we're going to take care of this right quick we're going to take care of this and an iron fist is coming down on the hebrew children and we're going to make sure that every male infant is exterminated And what would happen is this, all the girls would marry into the Egyptian culture and the Hebrew people would disappear. That was the plan. And he had the stuff to back it up, didn't he? It said, all the people were looking for Hebrew male babies. Everybody. There's a spy everywhere. And they would throw them in the river. Well, we're continuing the book of Exodus chapter 12. Look in verse 37. Look in verse 37. They're coming out of Egypt. The children of Israel, this is when they're marching out of Egypt. Now read carefully. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot. Where'd they come from? I thought that Pharaoh had absolute power and he was going to exterminate every male baby with his iron fist. Let me tell you, the strongest human iron fist is nothing compared to the plans of God and will not thwart the plan of God. He he missed them, didn't he? There's no way there should have been 600,000 men on foot. And what that meant, they were well, strong, able-bodied men. And when Moses led them out, there should not have been hardly any men left. You see, there is no human iron fist that can thwart the power of God. Pharaoh tried it. Pilate tried it. Herod tried it, Nebuchadnezzar tried it, Stalin tried it, Hitler tried it, China tries it. Every ungodly human regime has tried to thwart the purpose of God, and they can't do it. The church still thrives in the most oppressive regimes. So, whose side are we going to be on? Who are we going to choose to identify with? And then we have the personal application. The undeniable ability of God that is beyond our ability to imagine or even predict. Let me tell you how dark it looked that day. Just travel with me with Moses' mama. I mean, you know what what the, the law was, is every male baby is going to be tossed in the river. She couldn't hide him any longer. So she goes to the river with this little basket. She puts the baby in there. And now she doesn't know what's going to happen to him. So at that instant, tell you what happens. She had lost her little baby. And she goes back to a house where they're barely scraping by on slavery servitude. That's her world. will tell you what God does. Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river. And at just the right time, Moses cried. Just the right who think pinch that baby? And when he cried, oh, it just melted her heart. And she says, I'm going to keep this baby. The, the daughter of Pharaoh who is leading the campaign to exterminate Hebrew children, God changes her heart. God turns it around. Moses' sister was there, and she says, Hey, you need somebody to nurse that baby, don't you? Yeah, could you go get me one of the Hebrew Goes and gets Moses' mother. So here's what happens. Here's what she's facing. Walking home without her baby boy. Not knowing what's going to happen to him. mean, there's alligators in that river. You don't know. Before her day's over. She's got her baby boy back and an extra paycheck. That's how God does stuff, isn't it? That's how God does it. That's how God does it. I don't know what you're facing, but if God can do this for her, God can solve your problems beyond your ability. She she never thought about this as an outcome of that day. It all comes down to what we hear in the book of Ephesians. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. And all this was to continue God's plan. Here's the big picture. All this was part of God's plan for a nation to come into being on the earth that would bring forth the Savior. Satan would not want to let that happen. So the the entire force of the human agency, the best humans could do was try to wipe out that plan. And God would step in and his plan would not be thwarted. And that plan is for a Savior to come to reach the world with the message of salvation. That plan is still in effect today, and it includes you. We prepare for an invitation hymn. him. If you're here and you're lost, all this is so God can make sure you have a chance to be saved. If you're here facing problems and you don't know where the, the problem is going to be solved, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above we'll ever think. If you're here and you have to admit, you know, I'm letting the wind of public opinion blow me too much in the wrong direction. God can fix that too. Let us have a clear resolve as God's people to stand on the word of God, to teach the word faithfully in our church to the next generation. And the only way we'll do that is if we know it as grown-ups. That's why we look at grown-up lessons from these Bible stories as we stand and sing.